0: This is going to be a um, a brief introduction that has absolutely nothing to do with the sermon, but I'm going to say it anyway. <laughs> Does anybody ever feel like you come up to a problem? This is for somebody I don't know who it is. You ever feel like you come up against a problem and you try to think your way out of it? Like you immediately, your brain starts processing and you start thinking, okay, well I can. Do this, or I, I'm coming up against this, this vast ocean and I got to figure out how to get over it. I can build a bridge and I, I can gather the timber and I can do this and think about how to accomplish to get over it, uh, or maybe think about how to get under it. I got to get over it. I got to get under get. I got to do something. I got to get around it. I, I, I've got to do something. And um, oftentimes it's like when Moses brought the Israelites to the Red Sea you can't go over it, you can't go under it. Because you got to go through it. And I don't have enough brain power to go through it. Even though if, I, if I'm Moses and I get to the Red Sea and God corners me against the Red Sea and the Egyptians are coming at me with their spears and their swords and their chariots, I'm thinking, okay, well, we got some, some trees over here and, and we got some trees over here. And I mean, we're Israelites, we're builders. We built you know, all this stuff for the Egyptians. We can figure out how to, how, to, how to build a bridge to get across the Red Sea quick enough. But that's completely missing the point. If in the moment I build the bridge, I miss the miracle. If I get to Jericho and I think about how to build something to get over the wall to defeat the enemy, I miss the miracle. God's gonna bring the wall down. God's gonna part the Red Sea. I can try to think my way through the problem, but thinking my way through the problem isn't gonna fix the problem. It's inevitably gonna create a bigger problem. If in the moment what needs to happen is I need to trust God, not me. I need to let go of the situation And let God take care of it even if I've thought out the most reasonable conclusion possible I gotta let go of it even if I'm in the midst of a discussion with somebody and man I have thought how to tear them down and win this argument more often than not I just need to shut my mouth and let God handle the situation because even if I feel like I'm justified in what I'm gonna say Exodus 14 14 what is it Sally The Lord will fight for you. You have only to be silent. I've got to be quiet and let God handle it. Even if like the Israelites back up against the Red Sea, it comes at the last moment. It's going to come just in time. Even like the Israelites marching around Jericho, it may feel like we're just walking in circles, but God's accomplishing something in me that will end up with the result of a defeat of the enemy. I've got to let go and let God handle it. Just like that song we just sang said, he is my champion, not me. Not me. He is my champion, not me. It's not about me. It's like some sports teams, you know, they have the name of the uh, team they're on in the front of their jerseys, and there's some teams that don't have the name of the individual players on the back. It's that idea. I'm wearing God's name on the front of mine. But have I taken the initiative and put my own name on the back so everybody can see it was me who accomplished the fact? Or am I out there touting Jesus is going to do this? I don't know how that bill is going to get paid, but Jesus is going to take care of it. I don't know how the situation with that person is going to be resolved, but I do know Jesus is going to take care of it. I do know he's got it because I trust him. He's going to take down Goliath, not me. He's going to part the Red Sea. Not me. He's going to take down Jericho. Not me. Because we can't go over it. We can't go under it. Sometimes God's going to lead us right through it. And only he can do it. So, as I was preparing the sermon for today, uh, normally I'll have an introduction and I outline the introduction. I get to go through the introduction a lot. Well, it was about Wednesday as I was working on the message. um, I felt in my spirit. Uh, God had me delete the whole introduction section, that's because he was going to give me an introduction this morning, <laughs> I didn't even know it was coming. So there you go, It's an introduction that has nothing to do with the rest of what we're talking about. So, <laughs> open up your scripture to Romans chapter 14, Romans 14, So on page 949, if you're using a Bible on the rack, you can turn to page 949. It's also in the UVersion Bible app, uh, at the bottom of the app there's a more section, tap on that, then tap on events. And you can find all the notes in Scripture. Our church will pop up. It'll have all our notes and uh, um, the Scripture, and it'll have some announcements. It'll have a special devotion plan in there as well you can look at, and some links and things like that. But Romans chapter 14. You see, here in the book of Romans, we've been in Romans now for some months, um, Paul is winding down these instructions he's giving to the Roman Christians. He's given them a baseline of what their belief system about God should look like. He, he, he has talked about what, as a Christian, our life should be about walking in faith. And that's, that is a running theme that he keeps referring to in the rest of this letter that he's writing to the Roman Christians. And here, right at the end, Romans uh, uh, 14, 15, and 16, he's kind of giving some practical life advice of what it looks like to be a believer how we're supposed to interact with other human beings on this planet. And he dives into it. If we're walking by faith, the theme of Romans, and in Romans 14, he's going to tell us what that looks like. At the beginning of Romans 14, we saw last week, what that looks like to begin with means not judging somebody else based upon their life decisions. And in the same vein, not allowing them to judge us, not allowing their opinions of us to dictate our decisions, Because we have a constituency of one, Jesus. He is the one we're supposed to be working for. He is the one who is ultimately our judge. And if when we take it on ourselves to judge somebody else, or even to judge ourselves, we're taking on God's role and doing his job instead of allowing him to do it. We need to trust him to do what he's supposed to do. And so Paul talks about that. And now here, at the end of Romans 14, this... This will slap you in the face, so get ready. Get your cheek ready, because it's coming. God, in in, in opening this section of scripture, it, it, it is revelatory in how we live our lives. Romans chapter 14, starting in verse 13. Look at what he says. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother, in the way of somebody else. So he says, stop passing judgment on anybody else. He says, stop doing it. Don't do it any longer. He says, I know you've been doing it. I know it's hardwired into you as a human being. He says, stop. And then he says, you have to decide to not put a stumbling block or a hindrance in front of somebody else. Now, a stumbling block, you know, it's, it's, the idea of somebody putting something in your way and you're going to trip over it. It's, it's like if your kids leave out the Legos and you trip over the Legos walking through the living room or you, you step on the Legos in their room or some toy left out in their room in the dark and you, you step on it and you feel the instant pain. I, I'm convinced hell's going to be lined with Legos on the floor. You know? And so you step on it and you fall into the wall and put a hole in the wall because you're falling over the toys. Not that that ever happened in our house. It did, but it's going to happen, and somebody puts something there, and it causes you to stumble. I think if anybody ever remember the Dick Van Dyke show? Well, if you haven't ever seen it, you need to go watch it. It, I think it's streaming somewhere. Its comedy was way ahead of its time. But in the intro song for the first few seasons, Dick Van Dyke walks in and trips over the Ottoman. Y'all remember that? And he does this tumble roll, and then he pops up like nothing ever happened. And so it's that idea, somebody puts something in the way, and it's in the way, and and you trip over it, and you can't help it. And so what Paul's talking about is when we take something in our lives that we are doing, we feel free to do, and, and, and we display it in a way, knowing that it's a struggle for somebody else, and we put it in their way, and it makes them stumble. And then he says a hindrance there, that next word. You know what that word literally means? It's a trap. The idea was it was a trap that they would set out for animals. That the animal wouldn't see the trap, but they'd step in it and it would snag on them and they'd get stuck. Sometimes we do that in the things we do. We trap other people because we don't have a conviction about some of the things we do, but they do. It's not necessarily that the thing itself is a sin, but we don't have the same convictions as somebody else. Whether it be the kind of movies we see, the kind of food we eat, which is the illustration he's going to give, or the kind of things we drink. But when we do it and we display it for somebody else, it may cause them to stumble. It may cause a tr- be a trap for them and mess them up. Let me give you a visual illustration here. Let's see, Micah, you come help me. Um, hey, Brandon, you come help me. I didn't ask Brandon, but he's going to come anyway because he's good. Brandon, he's uh, in my small group. He's had great influence on me and my family. Right over here, I got a couple of boxes. Each one of you grab one of those brown boxes right there. The idea is you've got something, and, so, and you're, let's say you're walking through life. There you go. You're walking through life and doing life together with somebody else, or you just observe somebody else, and they put something or set that down. Mike has got this box. I don't know what's in it, and I don't know about how it works in your house, but when Amazon drops something off on your pump porch, you're like, ooh, I got something in the box. Can't wait to see what it is. And you've got a box. He's got this thing, and he puts it down, and it's in my way. It's a stumbling block because if I'm not looking, I'm going to trip over that box and fall and will fall off the stage as some of you anticipate I do every week. But don't pretend like you don't. I see the way you look at me sometimes. I'm about to go and you're like, oh, he's going to go now. I'm going to videotape this and put it on YouTube or this will be my America's Funniest Some Videos moment. But, uh, he, you know, you trip over the stumbling block. And, you know, I mentioned that story earlier about stepping on the boys' toys in the middle of the night one night. I can't stand stepping on stuff, like it drives me crazy. My feet are big and I don't like stepping on stuff, I don't like going around stuff, you know, I just clear it out of the way so I can just have a clear path and so I go and I trip over something, it's going to cause me to go. Whether it's a small thing or it's a big thing, either way when you stumble over an issue, it's gonna cause you to stumble one way or another. One will be a big stumble, one will be a small stumble, either way you're gonna stumble. And if you're journeying through life and you've got some uh, a downhill slope coming up and you trip over something, you're gonna go down. And it's not gonna comfortable, it's gonna do you great damage. And a lot of times when we have these things going on with us or we're practicing things in our lives, again, that scripture doesn't out like, say, are bad and sinful, but we're practicing them We display them, and and whether it's Micah's doing something or Brandon's doing something, and I see that, and it's something that I struggle with. And maybe they don't know about it. And they've put this stumbling block now in my path, and I see it, and I'm observing it, and I can trip over it. It It will do me great damage. And doing me great damage, it may ultimately do my kids great damage, generationally, because it messed me up. And they may not even know it. That's the stumbling block part. But the trap part is when they may very well know it's a, it's a struggle for me, and they do it anyway. Why don't y'all grab a couple of those other ones? Something that looks enticing, something that looks good. It may look maybe wrapped up real nice, it may be something I want to open. And they come, and they set that down in front of me, and it looks really good. Maybe something is I'm really struggling with, and I'm looking at this, and I'm thinking, what's in those boxes? You know, you got the small ones there. They're shaped like, you know, shirt boxes. I bet those are shirts. You you ever remember when you were a kid, and you went to your grandmother's house, and they had the presents wrapped up, and you knew which ones were the shirt boxes, right? And you knew, oh, there's a shirt in there. I'm going to open that one last. And you went for the other. Oh, that's a big one. I'm all about... The big one. My grandmother was different. You would have like two or three packages under the tree and they may be all this size because she put all the presents in that one box, right? You open, oh, it's a movie, oh, it's t-shirts, oh, it's underwear, oh, it's socks, oh, it's a sweater, all out of the one box. We called her, my grandmother's name is Mama, and so it was, a, oh, it's a Mama box. It's got everything in, one, everybody's got one present because it's all in one box. and. Uh, so the big box. I think, okay, maybe something I asked for is in this one. Definitely not those. But, and I'm, I'm thinking, okay, I like it. It looks good. But what ends up happening in our spiritual life is when we set something down that looks attractive in somebody else's life, it not only may cause them to stumble as they trip over it, it will delay them from continuing in their path and receiving what God has for them in the future. And so when we place it there, we may not realize we're doing them damage. But we will ultimately be doing that and placing that there. Y'all can have a seat. Let me give you an illustration. There was a guy I knew many, many years ago. I told this story some years ago. But no one knew he had a secret struggle in him. Nobody knew it. He kept it quiet. It was on the DL. Nobody knew he had this struggle. But he went to eat dinner one night with a friend who was a deacon at a church. And he went to eat dinner with his deacon at the church, and the deacon had a glass of wine with dinner. Scripture doesn't say drinking alcohol is bad, it says getting drunk is a sin. But look, the guy just had one glass of wine with dinner, but what he didn't know is the other man sitting across from him was, had an addictive personality, and he struggled with that. Nobody knew it. Guy's wife didn't even know it. And he saw that and said, well, this guy's a deacon, it's okay, it's okay. What he didn't know, the deacon at the time didn't know, was he was placing a trap in that man's life. The guy went, and he began to do that. started with one drink, and then more, and then more, and then more. And he was getting drunk every night eventually. It didn't happen overnight. I mean, it was an eventual process. And when he would do that, his habit as a drunk man was to go and gamble, and he gambled everything, everything, money he didn't even have. He gambled on credit cards. He gambled all of their savings. He, he, he gambled their house, lost it all. Everything was gone. Every, his, his wife was a godly woman beyond anticipation. She stuck with him through the mess, through the drinking, through the through the losing everything, praying for him all the while, and eventually after... About a decade and a half through the pit, he had a revelation, and God met him in the mess he was in and brought him back. But it all started with one dinner at one guy's house who set a trap in his life, and the guy didn't even realize it. Because the guy wasn't thinking about how this may affect the other man sitting across the table from me. All he was thinking about in the moment was, I like this. I do it all the time. It's no big Deal and that phrase right there. It's no big deal is the very thing Satan will whisper to us in the back of our minds To keep us doing something that will have a, a, a lasting impact on somebody else. It's no big deal They're mature they can handle. they're supposed to be able to handle it I mean the guy who ended up, you know succumbing to the temptation had been a believer for years and years and years The other man had no reason to think that he would stumble in this way, but that's just it He didn't think that the other man would stumble in this way. We don't often think about the struggle somebody else has when we make our own personal decisions. We often just make the decision because we like it. We want to do it. We don't think about somebody else. We don't think about the lasting ramifications of what we are doing will have. Not just on that person, but on succeeding generations as a result of the decision we wanted to make in the moment. We can exercise our freedom, you know, our, our freedom in Christ to do whatever we desire as long as it's not sin, even if what we are doing leads somebody else to sin, I am free to do it. And that's what Paul is talking about. He says, Now hold up a minute. Think about what you're doing, think and act as if it will have a lasting impact on somebody else. And, and notice he says, decide to not do it. Decide to never put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother. We have to make a conscious decision to act a certain way. Because I don't know if you've ever noticed, our default as people is selfishness. Unless we decide, our default is selfishness. Babies come out selfish and they have to be taught the opposite. And it's still a part of our human nature as we grow. That selfishness is still there. And if we don't decide selflessness or to think of somebody else first, our default motivation will be selfishness. And we've gotten really good. Maybe you haven't. You know, I've gotten good in my own brain of talking, of um, justifying my selfishness, right? Of convincing myself that it's not a selfish action, that it's not selfish words, that my motivations are not selfish, but they really are. If we spend excessive amounts of time trying to justify why we're saying what we're saying, it's selfish. We're just trying to find a loophole in it. It's selfish. Stop trying to find the loophole. I'm talking to myself. I try to do that all the time. In my own mind, I'm an arguer trying to find a way out. Just ask my English teacher growing up, I argued about where periods and commas went. Even in, I mean, years later in seminary. I fought with myself to correct the commas the professor corrected on my paper because I said, comma goes there, you crazy person, because it was selfish. I thought I knew better than that guy, but I had to come to the realization in that moment, if I want to pass, I need to change the comma. Unless we decide otherwise, our default motivation and thinking is selfish, almost always. So we have to decide, as Paul says, decide to never put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother. And he keeps talking about this. Verse 14, I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean if anyone thinks it is unclean. He's talking about food particularly. He's going to build on that discussion. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So short of outright sin, nothing to be partaken of is also sin in and of itself. Most things and actions can be corrupted and perverted at some point and be led into sin. But a lot of times, the action, the pure action or the pure decision itself, it doesn't necessarily involve sin. But we take it to the extreme and skew it a lot of times. And so if a fellow Christian struggles with a particular issue, then honestly, we need to stay away from that thing completely. That's what Paul's talking about. He, says, if, he said, I know and am persuaded that nothing is unclean. Jesus said this to his disciples and to a whole group of people. He's talking to Jews, and Jews had this deep-rooted understanding as they had been taught in their scriptures that certain foods were not right to eat. And Jesus comes on the scene and says, wait, everything is clean. And then Peter, in, in the book of Acts, gets a vision, and God says the same thing to Peter. Everything is clean. Everything, don't worry about Food being unclean, it's all clean. But when they began to share Jesus with Jews who had been taught their entire lives that certain foods were not okay to eat and were unclean and not okay to eat, and here come the Christians, and they, you know, you believe in Jesus, and they're eating all this stuff that you always thought you shouldn't eat. And it's messing with their own spiritual lives because of it. Paul's saying, it's not worth the spiritual disunity and and messing with that person's spiritual life just because I want to eat bacon. He says, it's not worth it. You say, bacon, man. Paul says, no, eternity's worth more. Eternity's worth more. He says, it's not worth it. He says, by what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. Doing that as he says, we are no longer walking in love. We're walking in selfishness. I, I, I dis- decide by default to do whatever I want, say whatever I want, be whatever I want. Going back to the say whatever I want, I'm just being honest, just sharing my truth. I got to share my opinion. It's my opinion. It's in my head. If it's in my head, it's got to come out of my mouth. I say, no, it's not. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. That is sin. Because everything that passes through our head is not from God. It's not. Maybe a revelation to you, but it's not. Sometimes we can do far better to the lives of people by keeping our own mouth shut and reexamining our heart. Paul says, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. Someone else's spiritual life is worth more than my own momentary, self-gratifying wants. Someone else's spiritual life is worth far more than my own self-gratifying wants in the moment. Someone Christ died for. Christ died for everyone. Jesus says this. Paul says this. He died for everyone. And so when I decide to go out and, and do certain things, go to certain places, eat certain foods, watch certain movies, drink certain things and do great detriment to somebody else's spiritual life, I am in that moment walking in selfishness, thus walking in sin, not walking in love, and messing up the spiritual life of somebody for whom Christ died, and messing with Christ's death and its impact on that person. I'm choosing in the moment to self-gratify rather than Thinking of how that person can be fully utilized for Christ. Is my self-gratification in the moment going to matter in 100 years? I mean, 100 years, none of us are going to be here. Is my self-gratification in the moment going to matter in 100 years? No. It's not. I'm not even going to remember it tomorrow, honestly. It's not going to matter in 100 years. But that person's spiritual well-being will. Look at Verse 16. do not let what you regard as good to be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Now it would seem right off the bat, look at verse 16 again. Do not let what you regard as good to be spoken of as evil. It would seem that he's talking about you know certain convictions. I think it's okay to eat that. I think it's okay to see that movie. I think it's okay to go to that place. I think it's okay to express your opinion in whatever capacity and tone you want. I think it's okay to drink that. And, and, and it may seem as though he's talking about that in verse 16. Do not let what you regard as good. I think those things are good to be spoken of as evil. Okay, I'll shut people down if they begin to tell me that's evil. But that's not what he's talking about because of verse 17. He said, because the, he says, for the kingdom of God, it's not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. He's talking about the kingdom of God when he says what you regard as good. He's talking about having an eternal perspective. He says the kingdom of God eternally is worth far more than our temporary convictions now. He says it matters more how that person pursues the kingdom of God than it does if I exercise my freedom in what I say and do and act and eat and see and drink. That person's worth more than that. That's what he's saying. That's why he says, don't let what is good be regarded as evil, but it's regarded as evil if I do whatever I want and cause that person great damage. Then I am doing the kingdom great damage. Because as he just said in the previous verse up there in verse uh, uh, 15, I am destroying the kingdom somebody Christ died for. A member of the kingdom, because of what I want, because I I have a right to do that thing. I have a right to say that thing. It's in the it's it, it's in the Constitution. Well, show me where the Constitution is. See if you can find it. Maybe it's in the appendix. I got a table of weights and measures. Is it maybe maybe it's past the maps? Is it past? No, that's that's a blank uh, page. Uh, There the thing is Eternity lasts more than any produced human document it lasts more than my rights Or my perceived rights in reality in reality, you know what I have a right to do. I Have a right to die and go to hell. That's what I have a right to do. I Don't have a right to do anything else. That's it But you know what Jesus said? He said, well, I'm going to take that right away, and I'm going to give you life and freedom and and eternity in its place if you believe. So Jesus replaced that debt and gave me heaven. He says, do not regard what is good to be spoken of as evil, God's kingdom. The kingdom of God is better than anything else to which I would dedicate my time. I would dedicate my time to making me feel good, to making me happy, to making, you know, putting a load off of my shoulders and putting it onto somebody else and expressing my my words. But the kingdom of God is worth far more than that. What am I building up by, by doing what I'm doing or saying what I'm saying? Am I building up me, making me feel better? Or am I building up the kingdom? Am I building up my family by saying that to my spouse? Am I building up my kid by allowing my my emotions to get the better of me in the moment at their basketball game? Am I building up the guy sitting next to me in the football stands by what comes out of my mouth and how I react in the moment? Am I building up the kingdom? Or am I just operating by default? Now verse 20 comes, and this one, man, Paul's bringing the heavy, the high heat today. I mean, verse 20 really spoke to me in a powerful, powerful way. But we I skipped over verse 18. Let's get there first. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable and approved by men. So then, let us not or then let us pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. Now catch that. Now he's setting up verse 20. Whoever serves Christ is acceptable to God, approved by men. Then let us pursue what makes for peace and mutual up building, building up of other people. I can serve Jesus by thinking through how my actions will either drive somebody away from Jesus or drive somebody towards Jesus. And that may mean limiting myself. That may mean limiting my actions and my words and, and, and my decisions. Because limiting myself for the growth of someone else honors Jesus. Limiting what I go and see honors Jesus, if it helps build somebody up. Limiting what I eat, if it helps build somebody up, honors Jesus. Limiting what what I drink, if it helps build somebody up, honors Jesus. Or potentially helps build somebody up, it honors Jesus. That is exactly what he's talking about. Let us pursue, that means make a conscious effort to do this, be intentional, what makes for peace and mutual building we will think about and strive over how to how to leave our next generation with some sort of financial stability we will plan for it for decades but we won't do it spiritually and we leave this massive gap there one will last the other will not. So I must decide then to limit myself for the growth of somebody else. And that, as Paul writes, will honor Jesus because, verse 20, do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. Do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. Now look at what he's saying there. For this, Remember he's talking about? these people in this particular context eating certain things that, that, that cause somebody else to stumble uh, or, or set a trap for them. He says, for the sake of food, don't destroy the work of God. The work of God in the individual person who's observing you, but also in the church as a whole. In, as the church as a whole, don't let My default selfishness that I try to justify in my mind, don't let my default selfishness destroy God's work in his church, in our community. All because I feel completely justified to to go where I want to go, to see what I want to see, to to drink what I want to drink, to eat what I want to eat, or to say whatever opinion flows out of my mouth. I feel completely justified in saying it, but in so doing, I may very well be destroying a work of God. In somebody else or in a general sense what God is trying to do I may not realize it because I'm just thinking in the moment and not eternally this is a hard one to digest for me I got to be thinking about as many people as possible how can how how can what I say and do possibly destroy somebody else now you may be thinking well man that's impossible you can't you know you can't let the hard way to live but honestly we do it every day with our kids I limit myself every day for my kids. I limit what I eat, make sure they got food first. I limit what I watch on TV because I know, be careful little eyes, what you see. So I limit what I watch because I know they will, even even after they're in bed, they can hear it down the hallway. Limit what I watch because I know they absorb it. I know they do. Limit how often we go out. Before we had kids. We go to movies. We go out to eat. Now going out to eat is like getting shot in the foot. If you're a parent, can I get an amen? <laughs> or a more vital organ. Think. <laughs> uh, and, and, but I, I'm, I'm willing to give it up because I want them to be better. I want them to be better. I'm willing to not eat certain things. I'm, I'm willing to limit myself in sleep if it means they get a better life. If it means when they get up, we get breakfast going, because I know breakfast has got to get going so they can eat it, so they can get dressed, so they can start school. if, if If it doesn't happen in certain order, then everything's messed up for the day. I'm willing to limit my sleep so that they can be set up for success. And so we do it all the time with our kids. But when it comes to doing it for somebody else, we think, well, they, they fend for themselves, right? You know, they're out there. They're adults. They can, they can function. They can figure it out on their own. But Paul's saying, since we are believers in Jesus, we're supposed to be functioning together as a group, accomplishing something phenomenal for Jesus. And to do that, it means to not think about me so much. And what I feel is my right To be able to do so and so and such and such and this and that and the other thing. And in so doing, also my own opinion, what I feel is my right to express. My right to do this. Paul's saying, there's more important stuff than that. The kingdom is far more important than that. The kingdom is far more important than your politics. The kingdom is far more important than than how you think assume somebody else's tone was when they said that thing to you and you're geared up and ready to respond. He says the kingdom's more important than that. It's more important than that. So Paul says, do not for the sake of blank, insert whatever it is, do not for the sake of whatever it is, destroy the work of God. Don't. It's not worth it. The work. Of, we, I, I am convinced we're going to get to heaven and be vastly surprised at what we thought was important. In addition to be surprised by a lot of other things. The things that we valued, the things we invested our time in, I'm convinced we're going to get to heaven and be like, man, I wasted a lot of time and effort and anticipated conversations and mental brain energy on things that had zero eternal impact. Paul says, do not destroy the work of God for the sake of anything. He talks more about food. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. So Paul's saying, it's not a, talking to these guys, it's not a sin if you eat that. But if in eating that you make somebody else sin, then yeah, it's sin. You're sinning by leading them to sin. So you're sinning and oftentimes not even realizing you're doing it because you're not thinking about how it has impact on somebody else. How it has a lasting impact on them. Verse 21. It's not good to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. So it's not, it's, it's not good. So it's a sin to do anything that would lead somebody else to stumble. Anything. You know what that word means in the Greek? Anything. Everything. Anything that could potentially do it. Stop. Stop. It's not worth it. I tell you... <laughs> I was thinking through this as I was coming in this morning, replaying the sermon in my mind, drinking my coffee. What if drinking coffee for me, now, this will never happen because coffee is in heaven, but what if drinking coffee were to do damage to my children? Would I be willing to give up coffee? And I had to, in the moment, I, stopped, I was walking again. and I stopped on the sidewalk, it was cold. I was thinking, well, yeah, I would, man, it would be hard. It would be hard, but I would do it for them. Well, what if giving up coffee for the sake of somebody else's spiritual life, would I be willing to do it then? So, well, I'm preaching on this, so, yeah, I would. I've got to say yes, right? So, yeah, I, I, I guess, yeah, I'd get that up. And so you have to think about your own life. Is there anything that you like so much But if doing that thing may cause spiritual damage to somebody else, are you willing to give it up? Because if you're not, then you've created an idol out of that thing. And you value that thing, whatever it is, that action, that tone, that opinion, whatever it is, you value that over somebody else's spiritual well-being. Or as, as Paul says there in verse 20, the work of God. Verse 22, the faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. How often do we, without even thinking about it, pass judgment in our action by simply what we approve of as good? By what we approve of as good. And that that doesn't necessarily mean that you go out there on Facebook and you write, I approve of X, Y, and Z. I think this is a good way to live. We may inside or even display it to other people. We don't think those life decisions are great. But if we say nothing, like I talked about it Wednesday night with our uh, uh, deacons and leadership team in our Bible study, that uh, if, like when Jesus gave the parable of the guy wounded on the side of the road and he had the priest come by he walked by on the other side of the road He had the levite come by he walked by on the other side of the road but it was a samaritan who stopped and helped the priest and the levi are both guilty because they didn't stop and help we may not inject ourselves into a situation that requires the words of god but if we walk past we are guilty Because we go by default and don't stop and help. Don't let it interrupt our schedule. Don't let it interrupt our day. Don't let it interrupt what we've already processed in our mind. Or maybe it's a conversation that we've already processed we're going to have. And we feel like we've got to have it or we're going to explode. But having it would do great spiritual damage to the one we want to have it with. God may be saying, stop. Stop stop. You're approving what you're saying. You're approving what you're doing uh, by passing by somebody who needs help, by passing by a situation that need, that is the work of God, and you're actually trying to stop it by what you are doing, by what you are drinking, by what you are eating, by what you are saying. You're trying to stop it even though you may not be realizing it. In a passive way, you're trying to stop the work of God. Paul says, be very careful how you act and what you do and what you say because God is always working in all kinds of ways in all kinds of lives. So be careful how you act. Because blessed is the one who does not do that. Verse 23. But whoever doubts is condemned if he eats. Because the eating is not from faith. Now, that doesn't mean, he's not talking about doubting in the sense of doubting certain areas and ways. He's talking about convictions again. He's talking about that if, if taking these packages that are laid out here, I may see somebody else partaking of the package, and, and, and in the take, partaking of the package isn't necessarily a sin, but I've got a struggle that me partaking of the package would be a sin. And so I have a conviction not to touch it, to stay away from it, no matter how good it looks, no matter how good the person partaking of it makes it look, I have a conviction that I can't touch it because it will lead me down a path away from Jesus. But if I see them partaking of it and begin to think, well, maybe it's not, you know, that phrase again, maybe it's not that bad, bad. It's not so bad. And I begin to partake of it, even though it's against my personal conviction, knowing it will lead me away from Jesus. And I begin to partake of it. It is, according to Paul right there, a step away from Jesus. A step in the opposite direction of Jesus. Because the last phrase of verse 23, whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. If it doesn't come from a place of faith, and remember he said earlier in the, in the, in the passage, we have to decide to, to walk by faith, we have to decide to live this way he's talking about, and could, because by default we will defer to selfishness. He says we have to decide to walk away from those selfish actions and begin to walk in faith. We have to decide to do that. We have to make a conscious effort to walk in faith. And so anything that does not come from faith is selfishness, is sin. He says, so we have to decide. We have to retrain ourselves, retrain our brains, retrain who we are on the inside, and develop new kinds of muscle memory, spiritual muscle memory revolving around faith. Because everything that doesn't start from a place of faith is sin is like we said earlier selfishness in a lot of our actions everything we can't a life of faith cannot be put on autopilot it can't be put in cruise control You have to constantly work on it and build it up and feed it and function with it and work it out and accomplish something phenomenal through it because everything that comes from faith will lead to the miracle of God, whether it's crossing the Red Sea, bringing down the walls of Jericho, or taking your kid to school tomorrow. If it proceeds from faith, it can do phenomenal things for the kingdom of God. A life of faith is a life lived on purpose for the purpose of God. A life of faith is a life lived on purpose, intentionally, for the purpose of God and what he is going to accomplish through me and through all of those who I have within arm's reach, within my circle of influence, which for all of us is far wider than we think. Your circle of influence is bigger than you think it is. You have a lasting impact on more people than you ever think you did. And if you don't believe it, go home right now and watch It's a Wonderful Life. You are Jimmy Stewart in that movie. We all have more impact than we think we do. We all have more influence than we think we do. And so living a life of faith will leave a legacy of faith in this world that will ripple through generations that will have long forgotten my name But my faith will continue to permeate if I walk by faith now on purpose for the purpose of God. And so the question we have to ask ourselves is Will I decide right now? Will this be my moment of decision to follow Jesus or to to, to operate by default and, and follow myself? Will I decide to follow Jesus? Or will I decide to follow me? And we all have to ask ourselves that at the beginning of our own spiritual journeys. Will I decide to follow Jesus now? Will I decide? Will you decide? Will you decide if if today you have never believed in Jesus and followed Jesus, then you need to decide today. It's your moment of decision. This is your line in the sand. Will you follow Jesus now? Believe that he is the son of God. That he died so all of your sins would be forgiven. All of them. Even the ones you haven't done yet. That he died so they would all be forgiven. And then he rose from the dead so that you can live after you die. And if you believe in Jesus, then you gain eternal life. And that one-way ticket can never be taken away. Ever. Not by something you do tomorrow. Not by something somebody does to you tomorrow. It's yours forever. You have the stamp of Jesus that can never be undone. And so maybe today, your decision to follow Jesus is, I need to follow him for the first time and believe, come to Jesus today. Maybe you need to decide to follow Jesus every day. Maybe as as I do as well, and stop the default living, stop the selfish living, make a decision, how are my decisions and my words and my actions impacting people around me that I don't really realize is having that big of an impact? Because I think in my brain, it's not really that big a deal. But it really is. Because one decision, like the butterfly effect, one small decision can have unbelievable consequences if we don't think about it on purpose. Or using Paul's language, if we don't decide in the moment to walk by faith. So what will you decide today? Follow Jesus for the first time? Or will you decide today also to follow Jesus for the millionth time? Will you just follow Jesus now?